So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us with whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type two collagen. Make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Hike the trail, check. Order takeout, check. Schedule heart checkup, done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. So welcome to the Stephen Shields radio show. I am here with uh, Michael Dixon. Uh, Michael Dixon is a French horn player who's played in the Sydney Symphony Orchestra and he's played in many uh, major operas as well. So how are you, Michael? Yeah, really good. Thanks uh, for having me, Stephen. You're welcome, Michael. Uh, So tell us about your musical experience. Yeah, well, I've got... I grew up in a musical family, so there was always music around. I was the fourth of five kids. So, um, there's three older sisters all playing instruments and singing and playing piano. There was plenty going on. My, my dad was a, a brass instrument teacher, and uh, my mother played piano and sang lots. So there was always something going on, and we all learned uh, piano from my mother's mother. So there was lots of music around. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided when I was 13, I wanted to be a professional musician, and uh, I was lucky to achieve that at the age of 16. Wow, so very experienced. Uh, and what's been the struggles for you being a professional musician on a financial point of view? Um, well, I was, I was lucky for most of it. It's, it's been a bit harder in the last 10 years, but... Um, because I'm freelance, but um, mm. there was a sort of choice I made uh, to come down to New South Wales to do further academic study. But, um, but other than that, I've, I've mostly had um, good full-time jobs and orchestras, so, uh, so it's been a good life from that point of view. And what's been the hardest uh, part of your life playing in a professional orchestra at a high level? Yeah, well, it, you get anxiety from time to time. You have to deal with it and make sure you're you know, on the top of your game, practicing well, and uh, and you know reevaluating um, the relationship to the audience. So it's not just about me, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest thing I had to do um, at one stage. Was I was I was was getting a little bit a little bit tired of it, and I uh, just had to sort of reposition. Uh, the way I was, you know, engaging with the audience. So, but uh, having done that, it became a bit easier. But... And what's been the one of the hardest orchestral pieces you've played, and the most challenging? Well, I think the, the ones that are where you like, um, well, Venus from the Planets, mm-hmm. and um, you've just played Mars, and then. You play the first horn player. You play four notes, but there's nobody else playing. And there's a there's a chorus around. There's a, 
orchestra of a hundred people and there's an audience and and there's nobody but horn one. So you know you're totally exposed. That's that's about the hardest thing. And uh, were you always first horn in the orchestra, or did you have to work your way up to play? Uh, I worked being... my way up. My first job was fourth, and and then I did a bit of second while a colleague was away on leave, and then my second main job was a bit of third, and then I played second for a while, and with a bit of third and a tiny bit of first, and then I played first horn. So, so I've done done them all. You know, you always find that uh, it's always the first uh, horn player or any first chair in the orchestra. It's more easier because the uh, second, third, fourth has to has to keep the rhythm going, and sometimes it's uh, it's you've got to count more. Um, my experience, I've always you know played second clarinet, but I found it always improved myself. Did you find? Uh, starting from fourth horn and working your way up to the first chair, you you improved more, or how did you feel? Well, I, I felt I got a really good knowledge of what everybody else was going through, you know. So when I got to first, I knew what it felt like to be all the other positions and what what they needed to do, what they, and what they, moreover, what they needed from the first horn in order to make their life as you know straightforward as possible. Mm. And, you know, when you're auditioning for a symphony orchestra, I've auditioned too, and I've found, you know, you could play a passage from Beethoven, but if they didn't like the way you articulated the notes, it's 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 a no in their books. How do you, how do you find with, um, you know, wanting to play your, your own interpretation um, versus the orchestra, how the um, symphony wants you to play it? Uh, well, that, that's an ongoing issue regardless of whether you're auditioning or whether you got the job mm. you, know, you don't can't always play it the way you want to play it you got to <clears throat> well, I mean, you've got to listen to the other people around you and if other people are playing it a bit differently you've got to either negotiate with them to you know see if you can persuade them that you know my point of view is more interesting or, or the conductor might have a view and the conductor has to try and you know bring views together and have a you know, personal, um, you know, idea of what what sh- what should be sounded. So uh, we're always we're always you know um, finding a way into the music through other people's ears and eyes. Mm. See, that's that's the thing with any creative arts and music. There's there's really no right answer, and that can be frustrating at times. You know, so many different recordings out there. You know, we all have our favourites and our least favourite. But um, I think if if you communicate it well, you know, people will like it. I think that's it. You know, if the, if the people, you know, who have the creative responsibility have a real point of view about what they want to hear and, and, and that has some sort of integrated approach, then you, you buy into it, you know, whether you, you know fully like it or not you just think it's it's worth doing that way so mm. you know that, that can be really interesting even you know i remember when i was um in brisbane and we started doing a lot of um experimentation with um historical performance practice you know again you, you know you can't always be right but it, it did make it fresher mm. you know and even if even if the person's point of view was um, perhaps on the extreme side, it was still, you know, a point of view that was well articulated and well thought out, and you know, 
so that made it fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've played in um, uh, a lot of chamber work, have you? Oh, yeah, all the way through, right from... I was a youngster in high school, you know, we had... Um, where I was growing up in New Zealand, we had high school chamber music competitions, you know, mm. right through the country. So my teacher at high school got a couple of groups together in the high school and we got involved and that was really interesting. So, yeah, from an early age I was involved and I really, really loved that sort of approach to music making. What age were you when you decided to take it to an academic level and take it more serious? Um... I was in the 30s then. Yeah. So mature yeah. age. So I've been doing the practical thing for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I actually started studying Indian music mm-hmm. and um, doing doing practical, a bit of um, the Indian drums, the tabla. Mm-hmm. And then a bit of um, the, the teacher would always warm up with a bit of singing. And then I'd also try try playing some of the um, the songs on the on the French horn mm-hmm. and but, but then from that I um, uh, found, found out about a, um, a lecturer at the at the uh, Queensland con who wanted an assistant to transcribe some uh, Indian folk music mm-hmm. and so that, that was quite a big project and it got me a little bit interested in um, and, and some academic approaches, so then I started doing a degree. At, uh, so when you transcribed the uh, Indian uh, music, did you have to notate it on a on a manuscript, or did yeah, you play it from ear? Yeah, onto uh, the manuscript and then onto a um, on a on a computer. And those days, um, what did I use? So I think I had to use Finale because at that time Sibelius was only available on. An Acorn computer. Mm. Yeah. So before before they did any other computers, they had only a, an English um, computers. Um, so I didn't I don't didn't use that at that time. So yeah, I first just wrote it out by hand and then put it onto Finale. So it was a little you know printed up a bit nicer for for her publication. Yeah, I think that... just stand, I just use standard notation. You know, trebles, clef, and all that. Yeah, I think that's the best way when you're transcribing, you know, myself, I, I would just pencil and paper it, you know, draft it out and then put it into Dorico or Sibelius and then play it back as well, yeah. play it on the instrument. Um, do you find when you were transcribing, did you loop it or did you stop start? How How, how was your method doing it? I just had cassette tapes, you know, it took an old school here. So I was, I was just, you know, you know, putting it on and then go back over it and turn it back on. I just stop and start. Yeah. Stop, start, method. No, everyone's got their own um, uh, techniques. Uh, myself, I just uh, just phrase by phrase and pause it. Yeah. And um, sort of just play on the keyboard. But, yeah, trans transcription it's it's a it's a very difficult thing to to do properly i think it's not easy yeah i reckon i'd have to work out how to how to write you know various vocal swoops and techniques and just have a um a legend you know, so people could say oh, okay that's what you mean by that you know 
you know, when it comes to notation, because the notation can't can't get you know hundred percent accurate as to what you're actually hearing. You know. But Michael, I'd like to. I think the audience might like to uh, hear 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 a few questions about your horn experience. So, what what brand of French horn do you play? I'm using one by the German maker Engelbert Schmidt. Yep. And uh, this one's a triple horn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, the sort of standard horn most people use would be a double horn. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of people around with what's called a disc. And the triples are becoming, well, there's a lot of them around now. But, I mean, if you're, if you're playing professionally in an orchestra, you don't, you're not required to have a triple, but um, you'd find just about everybody's got a double horn. And there, there are still a few people around with single horns who find that that does what they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, my horns are really good quality. I've got a, um, on loan, I've got an instrument from a, a period instrument group, uh, a baroque horn. Mm-hmm. And I've also got a classical horn, which you use hand technique and mm-hmm. no valves. So, um, and I've got another horn where I've, change one of the slides so it can do quarter tones really easily mm. so yeah a few different instruments but the main one i use is the Engelbert schmidt and how much is that worth i think now nowadays you'd be set back about 20 grand or something like that wow that that's a lot for a french horn 20 grand yeah i think i think um like a really good high quality Double, you wouldn't pay less than 15 mostly, mm. you know. The Alexanders and the Paxmans around that 15, I think, but often more. So mm. I think you can even, for some doubles, you can pay 20. So wow. I wouldn't be surprised if I looked up a price list that the triple would be more than that now. But, um, and uh, as, as, you're, as a horn player, Michael, what are the worst keys to play the horn? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, look, I'm F, F sharp major for a horn player. That's D major concert pitch. That's not so good. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find a good fingering. If you're going anything uh, more than a moderate tempo, uh, the fingerings aren't so um, straightforward. Mm. It's a little harder to get it in, in tune nicely or easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you can do it, of course, we have to, but. But it, yeah, it's not it's not a standard key. You don't get it that often. And I've noticed on your YouTube, you're you're doing microtonal music. What what's your technique, and why have you started um with microtonal music? Yeah, yeah. Look, well, I started because um, I just wanted to play uh, standard repertoire uh, with better tuning. Mm-hmm. And um, and then realised that. Uh, the, the major triad on a French horn, you can play really simply as the three players, but just harmonics four, five, and six. And they they express the major triad really beautifully, as long as you play the fifth harmonic, which is the major third of the, of the triad. If you play it a little, not quite as loud as the other two notes, and it fits in uh, simply and beautifully, and you don't have to adjust um lip or hand or anything on the horn it just plays it as it's as it's um, heard beautifully and what you find is that major third 
is uh, lower than one on a standard keyboard. Wow. So, and, and this is this is a well-known part of music theory and tuning theory over the last, you know, 700 years or so. So th- there's a difference there, and that, that difference is, we can call it a, a microtone. So it's it's there and amongst our usual practice. So if we if we adjust if we're playing in the key of C major and we're playing an E, we might have to change the tuning of the E depending on the chord we're playing with. And the adjustment is just a microtone, you know. So because of that and, and also because of um, there's a wonderful piece by Benjamin Britten, there's serenade for the a voice tenor and the horn and strings and and the prologue and the epilogue which are exactly the same music except one's played on stage and the epilogue's played off stage but there are some harmonics you play the 11th and 7th harmonics which are, are really different than standard tuning and that piece has been around since 1942 or something or 44 i think maybe and um uh, so it's it's really clear to the horn player that you're playing something um, you're playing microtones mm. just right there without any effort, you know. And the horn does that. Uh, that's the nature of the harmonic series, and they're easily accessible harmonics on the horn. Mm. So once you start playing with them and and knowing they're there, then you can start to write and find other music that explores them in more depth. So that, that sort of really started fascinating me from about uh, 1995 onwards. Um, yeah, I really wanted to get into it. So every, every the three degrees I've done have centred around um, the harmonic series and how to play it on the horn, how to play those intervals on other instruments and yeah, how to express those microtones musically. Now, Michael, how did you learn to play harmonics? It's just on the horn, I'm just there. You've just as soon as you pick up a horn you're playing harmonics. Just a question of which ones are you gonna to choose to play what note, you know. So you can play can play um um, you know, in a easily accessible reach of the horn you can play Do Re Me, you know, which is for us harmonics eight, nine, ten, they're just, you know, those straightforward steps. And then if you play the seventh harmonic it's it's um it's a, the flat seventh and a really flat seventh, you know. So they're just right there. They you learn them from a young age, and you know you're usually taught that some of them are out of tune. But but the truth of is that they they are their own flavour. It's just a question of when do we use them or when do we not use them. Now, as being a horn player, you you're always transposing music. Um, do you ever get uh, music? that you, you never have to transpose. And, and how do you transpose on site? Well, what's the skill set involved in it? Yeah, well, look, see, uh, for standard horn writing, mm. and especially 20th century on, everything is mostly notated for horn and F. Yep. So we, we read a C and it sounds an F. So, so the transposition, transposition is, from that point of view is done for us. But what happens is that lots of music from um, prior to the 20th century was written for a horn with a, a different crook length, so horn and E or E flat or a whole range, so the, a full range of 12, you know, standard keys. 
and uh, and because but once we started using vowels in in a, something for horn and e, we'd we'd play with the second vowel rather than put a whole new crooked, and and then we'd have to think rethink. Okay, so the music's written in C major, and when, instead of being a horn and f, we're looking at a horn and e. So that interval between horn and f and horn and e is a, is a minor second, right? So and if the key, the written key is C major, we now have to think we're in B major down a minor second. Right? So you have, that's the setup. So you've got to work out the interval of transposition, which is between how we read it and what the horn is that it, we're transposing to. Mm. And the key relation is the same interval. So you work those two things out and then you look at each individual note. But because we've practiced our scales and our arpeggios and all that sort of thing, uh, the, for me, the, the strongest way to transpose is to recognise the scale degree that you're looking at and then put it into whatever key you have to be. Mm. Uh, if it's atonal music, then you've got issues, or if it's complicated tonality, even like some Brahms, then you've got to do some a little bit of bending around with your mind and maybe you have to look at each note individually or but you also look at the um, succession of intervals so if you're looking at a note that says a c and you're transposing to a b right then the next note says e flat well then you're going up you've got to change by a minor third so you go from a b to a d so you're actually putting a range of things into place all at the same time which support each other which makes uh, transposing from side successful mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think conductors uh, should always give a transposed score to the horn player or just keep it in concert pitch? No, they should. The, the, the horn player needs to read the music as it's been printed for for the horn it was written for. So if it says horn and E, then you need the part in E, and then you work it out as a horn player. Because okay. um, especially nowadays we might be playing with a period group, and if somebody's transposed it, it's just you've got to retranspose it back to the key it was written for in order to play it on the crook that you you know that's too complicated it's you know and as a horn player even if you're using your vowels it's it's um refreshing to see the part as the composer wrote it because then you got an idea about how to play it which is much much more straightforward i find so you should always you know, um the horn player should be given the part that the composer had organised for you. Now, Michael, what advice do you have for any musician with scales? Uh, because scales can get boring uh, to play. Uh, I found when I would uh, improvise on my scales, I would do it much better rather than doing the AMEB system, you know, the two-slurred, two-tongued. Did you ever get creative with your scales? How, how did oh, you do it? absolutely. Get creative with your scales, yeah. Play them whatever way you feel like. As long as you're, you know, learning the pattern, you know how to make it work up and down, you know, round and about, start on a different note, start from the second degree of the scale, start from the third degree of the scale, you know, do a whole range of things that, that, that mix it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, different yeah. articulations. Just keep it as... Yeah, but even if it's boring, yeah, if you just if you're mucking around with the scale and you're still working the pattern, then it's it's great practice. Did but you... it just makes side reading so much easier. 
Mm. You see scale on the page, you know what to do. Did did you always... Several hundred times already, thousands of times. Did you always find when you were doing um, uh, scales as a classical musician, you'd do them from memory or you'd sight read it? What was your process in memorising your scales? Yeah, just familiarity. Just, you know, hundreds and thousands of repetitions and then it just, it's in the mind, you know. Because there's so... I don't think you want to need to do it from the written rewind. You've got to read it perhaps if 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 that's your primary way of engaging with music is through notation when you read it. But you keep reading it just, you know, thousands of times and then you just take away from the music, it's there, you know. Because there's so many different scales out there, pentatonic, whole tone, Egyptian, but in classical we've always gone with the melodic and harmonic minor. Have you experimented with pentatonics and whole tones? Yeah, I have, yeah. And also I got really into, um, there's, in, in South India there's 72 scales. So I got right into those and practiced all of them. And the construction of them is straightforward, and uh, you know they they include the ones that we're used to, and um, and a few others. But um, just sort of playing around with those, and and like you said, improvising with them, so you get you get to feel the flavour more by just mucking around. You know. And how many hours a day uh, do you practice, or did you practice when you were playing in the symphony orchestra? Yeah, well, when I, when I was um, well, if you if you're playing in an orchestra, then you you hopefully you're playing for you know three hours or something. Even even if it's broken up with rests and you got two calls in a day, you you're probably getting in quite a bit of you know actual playing. But there'd always be practice as well. You know, there'd be another half hour warm up and some other stuff in the, at the other end of the day. So you know and. Um, if it was a day where you're not actually in the orchestra, then I'd, I'd do, you know, I would have done two two hours minimum, you know. Mm. And, if, you know, if there's a week off, then I wouldn't take it. You know, it was only when I had five weeks off, and, and, you know, for holidays that I'd take two two weeks of my own off and then th- and three weeks to get back in condition. Mm. But, uh, you know, when I went up at the height of, really trying to improve playing I'd be doing three three hours or more a day because uh, it's very very easy to burn out and um, get tired as well and overwhelmed and I think sometimes you, you just need a break and just come back fresh yeah well you gotta you gotta you gotta try and pace it I reckon to me pacing's always been important I'd rather do you know two hours every day for you know 50 weeks a year than then you know five hours a day for 10 weeks and then burn out i mm. i didn't really get to burning out much i, I just i was able to pace mm. i can pace quite well i quite enjoy it yeah you, know, you i used to find you know playing clarinet at a tertiary level used to get um hands would cramp up uh jaw would get tired as well yeah, well, you got to make sure that that doesn't happen, yeah. As soon as it happens, you either need to have a rest or you need some advice on how to um, mm. set yourself up in a better way, you know. But uh, that happens to all musicians. Mm. Uh, you gotta, you got to keep monitoring, uh, you know, what you're doing with your body so it doesn't get 
um, overstressed. Yeah, found too stressed was not good because uh, there was one time I was doing a performance. It was, it was when I first started and being tired and anxious and then I completely just lost concentration and missed like 10 bars of it. You know, had, yeah. a, had, a, had one of those. Have, have you ever had those moments? Well, I've had plenty of stress moments and the odd occasion where I'm, I can't remember what line of music I'm on. I've done, you know, done a solo from memory and then I've got to come back to the page after it and sort of like, oh, where is it on the page? And, you know, miss a bar or something. Mm. But, um, All right, Michael, we'll end the uh, interview there. Where can the audience find you on your website? Uh, my website's um, thebrasswhisperer.com. Yep. All one word, the brass whisperer. All lowercase and dot com. That's it, yeah. All right, thank you for listening to the show today with Michael Dixon. I'm going to play my first single that I published on Spotify and streaming services called Death and Life. Remember to follow me on social media. Links in the description. See you in the next episode. Bye for now.
The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.